Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode of A Voice of Experience. My name is Tamuri and I'm your host. In today's episode, I was joined by Akaya, uh, who, fun enough, I went to secondary school with. Um, and yeah, it was incredible to speak to her. We weren't necessarily like that close in school, uh, purely because we were different people, but Kaya has been on an incredible journey. Um, an incredible but also very challenging journey to the point now where she is a disability stigma activist uh, and she recently started her own blog. Um, so in this episode we spoke about her experiences and we also delved into what wider society and South Asian communities can do in terms of uh, challenging the stigma that exists around disability. Um, it was a very incredible, incredible conversation um, and yeah we I love I would love to have Kaya back on again. Um, so I hope you enjoy. As always, if you have any feedback, more than welcome for you to shoot it through via social media or else. Um, and I hope you enjoy. Hi everyone, uh, welcome to the latest episode of Voices of Experience. I'm joined by Kaitri. Um Hey. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, how are you? Yeah, very, very good, thanks. Yeah, um, welcome on to the show. Um, and I think before Thank we... You. thanks for having me. <laughs> before we go on, it'd be good for... Do you want to do it or should I? But we actually went to school together. Um, yeah. <laughs> A very long we, time we ago went now. To, to high school together. I didn't speak for about seven years, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really funny. So the people I didn't speak to at school, I speak to them more now than I did at school. Right. Yeah, it's um, it's really how strange, how, not strange, but it's like a, it's a coincidence that how that's turned out. Because yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I don't I know mean, if that's the case for you. Friendships change, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Friends do interchange. Um, but yeah, we left school now, 12 years ago, which is yeah, a very long time ago. Um, <laughs> and we started school 17 years ago. So yeah, it's, um, but yeah, thank you for coming a lot, on. Yeah, a lot, a lot has changed. <laughs> um, yeah, and how are you? And then, yeah, how's lockdown been for you? Because I think it's good to explore these kinds of things with every guest. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think at the beginning, I really enjoyed it, uh, especially working from home um, and and saving money on on travel and on my commute and stuff to work. Having having more time to sleep and just enjoying those kind of perks was was great at the beginning. But I think as time went on, it, it became more and more difficult. Um, obviously, the, the restrictions eased a bit, and and that was that was okay. But um, I think in general, it general generally it's been it's been okay um, finding things to to do and distract myself with. So, yeah. What about you? Yeah, um, I think I'm like you in the sense that at first I really enjoyed mostly saving money. Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, just not having to rush around in life so much. But I think as time has gone on, I've realized the limitations uh, at the same time. Yeah. So I can't see my family. I haven't seen them. Well, I've only seen my family twice over the last, since Christmas, actually. Um, oh, God. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, just, you know, the small things like being able to go to the shop whenever you want. I can't necessarily do that because my partner is med- medically vulnerable. 
Um, so I think mm, I felt okay. it in a different way. Um, but I can't complain given everything's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just so long as you don't contract the virus, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's priority number one. Um, that's a blessing in itself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I gave my little introduction about our history, which goes back 17 years in terms of secondary yeah. school. If you wouldn't mind introducing yourself, please. Yeah, sure. So my name is Kaya. Um, it's actually short for a much longer Sri Lankan name, which you said at the beginning. Surprised you remembered it, by the way. <laughs> uh, and I'm currently building a career in human rights law. Uh, I worked in criminal defence law in the past. I've done some paralegaling. Um, and I'm currently at a law firm at the moment. But going forward, I'm looking forward to do, looking to do some charity and NGO work. So that's, that's me. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't know you, you did that. <laughs> I, I totally didn't yeah. know. That's so cool. <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm just a bit shocked by, like, not shocked, but, like, yeah, I didn't know you did s- such amazing work. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't do, I, I didn't do my undergrad in, in law. I did it in something completely different and then converted. I'd always wanted to pursue law. Um, and I knew that the, there was a conversion course, so I knew that was available. So I, I took that opportunity up afterwards after I did my undergrad. But yeah, um, yeah, it, it was quite cool. It's, it's definitely one of the most rewarding professions I think there is, um, dealing with vulnerable people and helping them. But yeah. Yeah, that's no, that's really amazing to hear. Um, it is. Um, I know. I, I always find it not strange, but like you know, when you grow up with people from school you have like an image of them for when they were effectively children or late Mm -hmm. like mid-teens and then when they become like full-fledged adults it's um (laughs) it's that's very true it's difficult to marry up the the like the image of that one person uh, when you have such contrast like I was a little shit in school, so it's like, here I am with a podcast. I, so I do remember. I do remember you being quite mischievous, actually. I remember you running around in the corridors a lot, and because you were so tall, <laughs> it, it looked like an adult from from the other side. And I always thought, I mean, is that a teacher? No, it's just Tamor. It's just Tamor being naughty again. <laughs> yeah, that would do fair. Uh, my growth spurt happened at fifteen, and I've, I'm pretty practically the same height I was at fifteen. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's incredible to have you on to know the professional work that you do, but also the work that you're effectively doing around uh, disability stigma in the South Asian communities. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I don't really know if I could call myself um, right like at this stage a disability stigma advocate. I've still got such a long way to go. Um, but I mean, certainly more more recently, I've started speaking and, and writing about my own mm. disability and my experiences in an attempt to accept myself. Um, I think raising awareness and prompting people to think is a byproduct, and it's most certainly um, a bonus. I think, but I, I mean, right now, I'm just, I'm doing it because it's therapeutic for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, any awareness that's raised is is, is a bonus, really. Yeah. No, um, I agree. I think that. Uh, I found that to be the case uh, for myself as well. When you start, you you don't really have in mind the idea of awareness. Like with mental health, when I started Expert by Experience or when I started writing about mental health, it wasn't to do with other people. It was more to do with like therapy for myself. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So I'm I'm glad that you've like, you know, been able to initiate your journey. Um, 
and it's quite in like they, they're very like interconnected like mental health and disability stigma um which i think and this is a question i ask all of our guests like what makes you so passionate about you know the work that you're doing like mm. because it's all interconnected yeah i think the reason why i'm really passionate about it right now is because I finally come to a stage in my life where I've realized that the stigma that I've experienced has shaped who I've become. Mm. And it's, you know, before before I had this realization, I mean, I had this realization this summer. Um, I went through an experience. And after that, when I was doing, when I was going through the process of healing, I realized that I hadn't fully accepted myself. And most of it was because of my disability and the stigma that I'd experienced leading up into that point in my life. Um, including when I was a child mm. and a teenager. Um, but yeah, the stigma molded me into this really underconfident person who lacked self-esteem. And it, the stigma genuinely made me believe that I was inferior to everyone else. And it's only now through, I mean, I've still got a long way to go. It's only through now, through writing and speaking about it and getting a bit of therapy that I'm starting to break from the mold. Mm. Um but yeah, before I had the realization, I was constantly hiding, not putting myself forward for opportunities, avoiding things like public speaking, avoiding professional opportunities. Because I, I just had this fear that I wouldn't succeed because I was always told that, or always made to believe that I was inferior. I was different and therefore inferior to, to other people. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm, why I'm so passionate about, about talking about it. And I think also for me, I wear a prosthesis and the aim for me one day is to be able to leave the house without wearing it. And the only reason why I do wear it is for aesthetic purposes. I, it's actually practically very restrictive. I can't, I can't do a lot of the things that I can do when it's off. And so it doesn't really, on a practical level, it doesn't make sense for me to wear it. But the only reason I do is because it's to hide what it actually looks like. And so it's one of the most suffocating, I can't explain to you, Tamar, it's one of the most suffocating things to wear a prosthesis when you don't actually need to wear it. I mean, there are people that, for example, if you take, um, there's a British Paralympic swimmer called Susie Rogers. I don't know if you've heard of her. Yep. She's, yeah, she's incredible. But she, she wears her, she wears a prosthetic leg, but she wears that for practical reasons. So it's easier for her to walk because I think her leg is amputated. I might be wrong, but from the knee onwards. Um, so for, 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 for those kind of people, wearing an extra limb, wearing a, a silicon limb or, or prosthetic a prosthesis is helpful. But for me, it, it's the opposite. It's restrictive. Um, and I really want to be able to get to a stage where I don't, have to wear it but because I've been wearing it I don't know if you remember me at school not wearing it but I started wearing it from sixth form um but yeah. since then I've just I've I've been I haven't left the house so well I mean what it's been maybe 50 my maths might be wrong here but it might be about 15 years 10, 10 to 15 years since I've left the house without it um yeah yeah I remember in before sixth form you didn't used to wear it um and yeah, so I think I left sixth form by the time you were like, I left sixth form the first year that, yeah, okay. first year of sixth form. So I don't particularly remember that well of you wearing it, but um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really, it's difficult to hear. Um, like, you know, just you explaining how it makes mm. you feel. 
and the fact that it, it serves no function, right? There's there's no there's no functional benefit of you wearing okay. it for you. It's actually more restrictive. Had you yeah, if you were not wearing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. It's it's and especially in the summer because it's made from silicon as well. It's a material that's extremely thick. Um, and doesn't allow your skin to breathe. So not only is it restrictive, but it's bad for my my skin to be wearing it. I mean, on days that I go to work, if I'm working late at the office, I'll be there sometimes till 7, 8 p.m. Um, and wearing it from, from 8 a.m., from the minute I step out the door to till 7 p.m. at night is, I mean, you can imagine how much, how bad that is for someone's skin to be wearing something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean... The dream is for me one day. Uh, it might not seem like a big dream to anyone else, but for me, it, it's it would be incredible for me to to be able to step up without it. And I did try it actually last um, a few weeks ago. I, I I mean I've been talking to friends about it, and they've sort of been telling me, you know, why don't you take it in small steps? Why don't you try going to Sainsbury's or you know your corner shop or just like down the road with it? Um, and so that's exactly what I what I did. I tried. Um, and I, it, it went really well to, up until the end of my road. Obviously, there were not many people on my road. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with um, with Oaks Lane, you know, leading up to the school. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you remember where, where the garage is and, the, 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 you know, the corner shop that everyone used to go to. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, So I got to the, the place where, where the garage was and there was a family and a family of four and they, they were brown. And they, the, the, there was mum, dad, two kids. And the mum, she, we exchanged glances. She saw, she, she looked at me and then I saw her look at my hand. And she, she looked uncomfortable, if I'm honest. Um, and she sort of prompted her children to move really quickly. And, you know, I could have misread the whole situation. They might have been, they might have been in a rush. They might have been mm. going somewhere. She might have been, you know, and that might have just been me being hypervigilant at the time because I was so, you know, I was so nervous and anxious about this experience um, of me taking my prosthesis off that I, I, you know, I would have read the, the signs wrong. But for me, at that moment in time, it looked like she was hurrying her kids along because and sort of covering their eyes because she didn't want them to, to look at my hand. Um, and yeah, and I got... It, it didn't upset me as such, but it made me feel extremely anxious. And so I just turned around and went home. And I was like, okay, I'm not doing this again for a while. Let me take it in in, in smaller steps. And so, so, yeah, that's that's where I'm at with the with the journey right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it seems like, you know, it, it, was, it started off so well in terms of you being able to do that. And just that experience with the oh. family, um, I can imagine, would be, like, really disheartening. So, like, mm. in terms of, like, going back 10 to 15 years, like, do you think mm. ITUs have progressed a bit? Or is it that able-bodied individuals are still as, still continue I didn't, on that I didn't, stigma? I didn't hear the, the, sorry, I didn't hear the beginning part of your question because it, oh. it cut off a little bit. No worries. Um, I said, like, um, I said, so, like, you know, since compared to your teenage years, do you feel like ITUs yeah. have progressed and developed but from able-bodied individuals uh like positively or do you think ITUs are still very the same as they were 15 years ago around disability no 
No, I mean, for sure, things have definitely, I mean, on my in my experience, things have definitely got better. Um, I mean, it's a sad comparison, but the comparison I make is the sort of abuse that I received when I was at school. Abuse in the sense that the, the names and stuff that I was called. I mean, I'm not, no one has ever said that kind of thing to me, you know, in my adult life. Um, so in that sense, yeah, it's progressed. Um, people are more... Um, accepting more understanding I think mm. um, you know and uh, I, I guess in, if we if we talk in that sense then yeah views have progressed um, in that in, in that regard but um, I mean I, I wrote this in my blog post it even if you're not being called you know outright abusive names it still manifests in the form of you know the awkward stare or um, the whispering or, you know, just exclusion, leaving you out of experiences. And, you know, I, I, I don't, I I don't think I could confidently say that it's, it's progressed since my teenage years. 100% it hasn't. I think there's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah. Um, Uh Yeah. So, and then I think because you mentioned the fact that the family that, uh, when you went went out on Oaks Lane yeah. was yeah. brown. Do you think is there like a are there different experiences for you when you say uh, compared to like uh, your white counterparts in terms of like the yeah. attitudes within the South Asian communities? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I, I work at a firm. My firm is predominantly white, and um, definitely people have been. I mean. They still get a little bit awkward, but they're nowhere near as as awkward as, as a brown person would be. I mean, to be to be frank. Um, so yeah, definitely. I think also. I mean, aunties and uncles are there's definitely more stigma there than there is within the white community. Um, I don't. I'm. I mean, I can't say this for all white people, but I think I don't know if you know Alex Brooker. He's a TV personality and he's a journalist. Don't know if you've come across him at all. He's he's appeared on lots of like Channel Four shows. And I haven't. No. Okay, so he both of his hands are uh, sort of deformed and they they look very different. I think he's got like two two to three fingers on each hand. Um, he did he hosted a, a documentary on BBC called Disability and Me, and in that documentary he sort of talked about his his school life and he he sort of said that he. He never really, he was lucky enough not to really experience any abuse or um, even growing up when he, in his adult life, he didn't really have any issues as such from people. And if anything, he benefited. He said that he, you know, his, his TV career really kicked off because because of his disability and he managed to turn it into a positive and his family and his community and his extended family were all really, really supportive. And I, I think a brown person could never really say the same thing. I mean, I, I know for, for a fact that I would never, ever be able to say my all the aunties and uncles and my extended family and my professional life has gone extremely smoothly because of my disability. In fact, it's the inverse. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, I think... I think um, I think it is easier for white counterparts, unfortunately. Right. And, and what do you think is, like, causing that, you know, that level of intensity yeah. in terms of the stigma around disabled individuals in our communities? Mm. Um, I think it's just a failure to move on, really. Um, all of There's, like, so many misconceptions 
there's misconceptions. Most of these misconceptions about the cause of disabilities, they come from sort of cultural and religious beliefs. Right. You know, I've, I mean, I've, I've been told before, oh, you must have done something really, I mean, I'm, I come from a Hindu family. Um, you know, I've, I've been told, oh, you must have done something really, really bad in your past life, or your ancestors or your parents must have done something terrible. Or there's like, you know, there's supernatural forces like demons and spirits and witchcraft, or, or maybe you're being punished by God. And those kind of beliefs stem from, they're from religion and culture, mm. which is, I mean, I'm not sure how much of that is sort of prominent in with in, in the white community. But I know certainly in the South Asian community, you have those kind of beliefs and people have really sort of failed to educate themselves and move on from that. And I think that's one of the main, main reasons. Yeah, it's quite interesting. You mentioned uh, beliefs like, you know, maybe you're being punished by God or you did something mm. in your previous life, etc. You know, mm. attitudes that come from religion because that's oftentimes uh, or sometimes can be used in terms of mental health. Um, so say if someone is having mm. a... Yeah. If someone has, a, someone has a serious mental illness, it's if sometimes they don't necessarily want to, want to deal with it or be able to help yeah. the person rather they'll use excuses like oh you know it's god's will when in reality that's not really that's not really the case that kind of that mentality really isn't helpful to anyone it's really it's really damaging actually because then you then start to feel guilty if you believe that stuff Mm. you then start to feel guilty about something that you have no control over so now i'm supposed to feel guilty about something that i apparently did in my past life which has resulted in me becoming disabled and so therefore it's my fault and you end up feeling quite frankly shit for the rest of your life about something that you have absolutely no control over and it is it's really really damaging yeah i i can completely imagine um but which then kind of makes me like takes me on to the next question which i was thinking like you Mm. know you've experienced a lot you've had to go through a lot like in terms of Mm. stigma abuse like even get like being bullied for it um Mm. like what impact Mm. has that had in, in terms of like your mental health or mental well-being Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I suffer from anxiety as well. So that I, d- I definitely say that it's contributed to my anxiety. I, I have heart palpitations whenever I'm in meetings. I have, um, you know, just like really, really low self-esteem, especially professionally, which has kind of sometimes hindered my progress over the last few years. Um, but yeah, definitely contributed to my anxiety I get, I feel low a lot. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's in, in, an inferiority complex. You, what it's done is, is made me believe that I'm inferior to everyone. And although I'm speaking about it now and I know that that's the case, it doesn't necessarily mean that I've broken out of it. And, you know, it's because it's so damaging. It takes, I think it takes years. Um, it takes a really, really long time to, to reverse that and to come out of it. So yeah, that's that's the effect that it's had had on me psychologically. I think. I I agree. Um, I think, I I remember speaking. I was speaking other another guest. When you're a child and you're growing up, and if you hear these kinds of things about yourself, effectively the adults around you at the time serve as like your encyclopedia to to the world. So what they say, you you take on as as your truth. So if the adults yeah. around you are saying really horrible things like, oh, you must have done something wrong in your previous life for you to have yeah. a disability, that takes yeah. a long time to shift, like to get beyond that. Yeah. Um, 
No, but yeah, um, sure. um, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna. I was just gonna talk about internalized stigma. Um, I think that you know, you you genuinely start to believe that you, you believe all of this crap that's fed into you when you're a child. And like you said, yeah, it's so important um, to recognize what you've been told um, when you were a child and to and to try and break free from that. Yeah. Uh, completely um which other i think then takes me like i'm just thinking about like in terms of your journey um because i yeah well, i just remember you mm. as a teenager as a kid like i was um but then like you say in the past year or so you've had this journey where you've come to a point of um appreciation of yourself and acceptance of yourself mm. like mm. do you want to talk about that like how what led you to that to that like yeah, yeah. what was that the journey yeah, for sure. you yeah, sure. It, I mean, it's quite personal, but it's fine. Yeah, um, I mean, you, you don't whole, have to. There is no whole, pressure at all. That's okay. But this whole thing is personal, so it's <laughs> completely fine. I mean, I'm going to be talking a, a lot of... I'm going to be writing about... I've got a few blog posts lined up, and I'm going to be writing about a lot of it, so it's it's completely fine. But, um, yeah, so I was um, in a romantic relationship with someone who I lent on quite a lot to validate me, and um, it didn't go so well. Um, was being neglected a lot and just sort of being really apologetic for the fact that I had a disability and not ever taking my prosthesis off when I was around him Um, and just sort of accepting all of his crap (laughs) because I thought well you know I'm lucky to even be with someone Mm. you know so therefore I should accept all of this this rubbish Um, and, and that's I think that's when, when when it ended, uh, when he ended things with me and then I was going through my healing process, I had therapy and I also had a really, really great support network, family and friends. I then, that's when I came to the realisation that I cannot, I cannot be with someone unless I am, I accept and love myself fully. I cannot apologise for, for the way I am because it's the way I don't have control over it. It's the way I am and I need to start, I need to start writing about it and start talking about it and, and that's how I'm going to come to accept myself um and it's just yeah and and that that's that's what led me to it really right and you have published well you've published like one blog about it and you have more planned uh tell me what it felt like to finally in your like late to mid-20s finally be able to say things what was on your mind because did you have any kind of outlet like growing up in school like as a teenager or was it is it this was your first time writing about how you truly truly felt um you know interestingly enough i don't know if you know if at school did you ever know about the counseling service that was offered uh no but i really should have (laughs) (laughs) why was i not there actually i mean Looking back, I mean, that counsellor wasn't fantastic. She she was very kind of just always watching the clock and looking at her phone constantly. But, um, I mean, Miss, I don't know if you remember Miss Kemba, the head of year. But she yeah. caught me crying a few times and she referred me to on to a counsellor. Right. Um, and that counsellor was my was my only outlet because I never spoke about any of this at home. Um, my, you know, I, my parents were only concerned with the grades I was getting and so I didn't really think there was space for me to talk about it at home but anyway um yeah i aside aside from this counselor who every five minutes would just ask me how i'm feeling and then look back at her phone aside from that i didn't have a proper outlet so i guess 
yeah, I guess I kept it bottled for quite a while. Um, and so, and then finally being able to write about it. I mean, along the way, I've obviously had friends and, and things like that to speak about it with, but um, never kind of release my thoughts on a, on a public platform. Um, and, and, to, and to have done that, it was extremely liberating, actually. Um, it felt like I was being, not to sound corny or anything, but like I was being sort of released from a cage. That's kind of what it felt like. Yeah, uh, I mean, having been there myself and having done that, I know I, I fully recognize how you feel. Um, yeah. Yeah, so like, what was the process like for you in terms of like writing about it? Because I think, mm. yeah, I think it'd be interesting to explore that with you because everyone has their own mm. unique experience. For me, when I write, yeah. man, yeah. like it takes me a long time to write because um, I'm very... I tend to write about very like emotional subjects so for me it's like it it effectively is a process that's why I'm not a writer professionally because I can't come up with something Mm. in a day I struggle Mm. with that right yeah um I mean I I was never I never really considered myself a writer I wasn't very good at it at school to be honest um but with this I when I thought about writing starting a blog I had a list of things in my mind that I wanted to discuss and talk about and when I was growing up actually I mean coming back to your outlet question I guess I did have an outlet because I wrote in a journal I would write all my thoughts down Um, and it was buried buried in the shed actually and I managed to get hold of it and just come across all of this stuff that I'd written down over the years Um, so I, I read that and turned it into a piece of writing and I think the pro- I mean, there wasn't really a process for me um, again this sounds corny but I sometimes would just have a moment where I thought oh yeah I, I need to write that down let me quickly jot it down and quickly open my laptop and then write a paragraph and then leave it and it, it kind of happened in bursts mm. so I mean I'd always have my phone my notes opened so if I was on the train or if I was walking and if I ever if anything ever occurred to me because because I've been through so much, any anything that happens in life can trigger me. And if that triggers me, then I think, oh, okay. And if, and if I think I can write about it, then I'll, I'll jot it down in my notes. And then slowly, slowly, I just put together, compiled all my thoughts together that I put in my notes and, and come up with a piece of writing. And, that, and that's it, really. All right. That's, mm. uh, it's, well, it's amazing to hear because it feels like things happen or things have happened for you in the last year in a way that they were almost building up over a lifetime mm-hmm. the fact that you had yeah. you had a habit of writing things down when you felt triggered or you when you felt like you needed to express something and then it, it came around mm-hmm. at, at a time where you I guess you really needed it after breaking up with your ex and you you wanted yeah. to find all the things in yourself um, in terms yeah. of outside or externally yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's accurate. I'd say. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, as I mean, your journey is has been quite challenging and difficult, and it still is. But I'm really happy to hear that you have found something that is able to, you know, give you a sense of healing. Yeah, no, for sure. And to be honest, I mean, not everyone understands it. I had a friend message me after I released my first blog post and he he sort of just said to me well like what are you doing um why why have you chosen to talk about this now um and I sort of said to him well 
you know, sometimes people go through, you know, experiences in their life and they have, they just have a moment. And again, it sounds really filmy and corny, but you just, sometimes you just have that light bulb moment and you think, shit, I need to change how I do things. I need to, I need to start bettering myself or I need to work on myself or whatever it is you want to change about yourself. You, you, you have an experience where you go through something and that, that, enables you to to then start making steps towards change um but yeah i mean not not everyone understands it yeah i mean the one piece of advice i would say is like you do you <laughs> uh yeah. which i think yeah. pretty much sums up because like we all have a, like our own t- truth to tell yeah and i think yeah. there comes a point in your life when you've been through so much and you've like accumulated so much years of baggage that there just has to be yeah. a release. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's yeah. I mean, and you need to do what what's important for your for your mental well being, and, and that's something that I've realised because I used to be extremely scared of what other people thought and how I'd come how my digital kind of social media presence um, would come across, and I used to be really fearful of all of that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, no, you're completely right. Um, just need to do do you. Yeah, uh, that's uh, it's a very, I think it's a it's a very short and snappy uh, thing to say, but I think it really does like resonate with a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, yeah, so like I think I feel like we've captured like you know your past, your, where you're like your present, mm. and, like this is like an off the cuff question that you don't have to answer it on the spot. Like, but where do you see yourself in terms of like? five years and I don't mean like professionally or anything I mean like mm. you as a person like the work mm. that you're doing like and yeah you might not even have the answers to this but I think yeah I just feel like there's so much going on for you like this is a very good time to podcast with you um in yeah. your position because I think there's the, the next five or ten years may look very different for you oh I hope so <laughs> uh, not that I'm not happy in the present because I think it's important to be mindful and happy in, 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 in where you are at the moment but in five years I'm hoping that I can walk into a room full of people without my prosthesis on and not get anxious about it and and not just for that but also for people not to be for there to be a, a shift or change in people's attitudes you know, I mean, it, to be honest, I'm being ambitious. Five years, I don't think that's really going to happen in five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love for, for that, for, for not, I mean, not just for me, but for any for anyone with an obvious visible difference, you know, for someone, you know, with a missing leg or in a wheelchair, uh, for people not to whisper or get awkward or look at them or, put, or, or stereotype them, put them in a box. Um, right. You know, yeah. I think. Yeah. For mental attitudes towards this kind of thing to change would be would be amazing uh, in five to ten years. And what are some of the ways you think we can get to that point? Because I think the conversation lies a lot with able-bodied individuals like myself who are not as educated as we should be and are not challenging um, stigma around disability as much as we should be because otherwise we wouldn't have all this going on right and that that includes yeah. me as well like yeah um, yeah I think yeah it's really really important to talk about next steps because I think it's all well and good speaking about experiences but it is important to talk about 
what we can do going forward. I think definitely, I mean, the obvious one is, is to have more conversations and to raise awareness and make people understand or not make people understand, or just tell them essentially what, what it's like for a disabled person to sort of wake up in the morning and, and, not, and you know, not just have to go through the physical challenges of what their disability brings, but also have to go through the psychological challenges. It's a double battle and they shouldn't have to have a double battle because it's already difficult enough. I mean, I'm a, a certain, like, okay in the sense that I can do most things but for a person in a wheelchair or who's you know who are missing is missing a leg and has to use the prosthetic leg to be able to walk they they're already facing those physical challenges so Mm. they shouldn't have to also fight a double battle and you know fight the stigma um sorry I've forgotten your question but it's just completely no 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 uh, no worries um (laughs) Basically, I said, like, what are some of the te- steps that we can take right. to... Right, right. Uh, and I think I, yeah. I, I meant more in the sense that making able-bodied individuals like me aware about, you know, mm. being educated mm. more about disability issues, etc. Because I'm... Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think people who are disabled are invisibilized or they're stigmatized. Mm. There's, yeah. there's, there's, no, yeah. there's no in-between. There's nothing else. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah, conversations are important for them to be, I mean, to be honest, it's not really our responsibility to educate an able-bodied person. They Mm. should be able to seek out the resources for themselves. There's so much, there's a wealth of material online. There's blog posts, there's articles, there's YouTube videos, there's talks, there's all sorts of things that people have easy access to these days. Um, So just, just reading, you know, reading about that and listening to that and really being well informed and also... Just, I think, basic communication. I'll tell you something that happened to me about a year or two ago. I was at a wedding and um, there was a person, I'm going to try and anonymize it as much as I can, but there was a person who was very, very heavily involved in that wedding, was on on the groom's side. And this person, and I was also kind of involved in the wedding, um, and the person approached me and wanted help with some wedding errands. And I, and I was like, yeah, sure, I can come and help. So they said, okay, well, can you can you help me lift this table? I was like, yeah. And I mean, I could have done that. I was wearing my prosthesis, but I still could have done that. I could have equally sort of balanced the weight on both of my arms. Uh, it would have been a little bit of a struggle, but I, I would have managed. And it's not like we were going to walk a really long distance. It was only just down, down the hallway. Um, but then the person looked at my prosthesis and got extremely uncomfortable I'm like oh oh my god oh Kaya I'm, I'm so sorry I'm, I'll, I'll just ask someone else and I just stood there and was like uh, okay uh-huh. you don't know the extent of my disability communicate with me ask me can you carry can you know I understand if I understand that I mean I guess the the argument on the opposite opposite side would be well I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to offend you but why would I be offended why are you assuming that I would be offended does, does that make sense yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you should be able to communicate and say, well, if you don't know what the extent of my disability is, if you don't know what I can and can't do, then just say, well, are you going to be able to carry this? I know you're wearing prosthesis. And I'll be like, yeah, or no, as simple as. So avoiding those conversations is not helpful to anyone. You mm. should. What the person should have done is ask me and not whisper and not take me outside or take me to a corner, but just ask me. Um, you know, and I've had other people... Pull, you know, at work, sort of whisper to me, like, oh my God, why are you tired of being with one hand? Then you don't need to whisper that. 
you can openly communicate with me in front of a room full of people and it's like why do you assume that I won't be okay with that kind of question um yeah and again people people will probably say to this well we don't know we, we would want to offend you we don't know what's what's right to say we don't know what's well then go and educate yourself it's not my job mm. to you know Sorry, that sounded rude, but you know what I mean. <laughs> no, no, uh, it's, it's more than fair for you to say that. It's more than fair. <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, I think basic communication and education is would be my top tips. Great, um, and I'll I'll make a like a very strong point to ensure that I include as many educational resources for able-bodied individuals. Uh, able-bodied, That'd be amazing. When I yeah. upload this, to make sure that you know, rather than asking people around them who may have a disability, be like, hey, how can I treat you? But more like yeah. educating themselves, <laughs> including myself, yeah. to not ask yeah. questions which are effectively demeaning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I, but I think by, by, by doing that, you're sort of, I don't know, just highlighting to the person or, or making them feel reminding them that they are different and you know that that goes away from normalizing difference um so yeah i think the research really needs to be done by able-bodied people themselves completely agreed um and in terms of like based on your experiences what do you think is necessary in the south asian communities for disability Mm. stigma to you know for there to be progress to be made i think and I don't mean to draw any parallels with um, sort of racism and the Black Lives Matter movement or anything like that. I don't mean to draw any parallels, but I think some of the same kind of techniques can be adopted in the sense that conversations need to start at home. Mm. You know, if you have a parent or a sibling or a grandparent who openly feels, you know, makes a comment about a person's disability, and not, not an abusive comment because I don't think that would happen, but sort of a, a comment that indicates that that person is worthless you know I mean I've I've heard someone um in my extended family say um oh I, I wanted to marry that girl but her brother was autistic you know that kind of thing there's no need to say but you know you could say and her brother is autistic or that information doesn't even need to be included so calling people out on their on their bullshit like when they when they say that kind of thing you need to be able to say hold on that's not correct. Why are you thinking like that? And having the confidence, I think, within this, especially in the South Asian community, to have those uncomfortable conversations, because without those uncomfortable conversations, you're not really going to get anywhere. Um, and people, a lot of people, be like, well, I don't know anyone that's disabled. I'm not disabled, so why should I care? And I don't. I, and it's that ignorant kind of attitude that needs to be combated. Um, so yeah. So conversations at home. Um, conversations with parents um, and just calling yeah just calling people out on the on, on, the, on the stuff that they on the stuff that they say um, I think maybe also I know I don't know how it works within other sort of religious communities but I know with Hindus at the temples and stuff people do talks and things like that um, and then people and, the, and the main sort of people that, that attend temples are you know older people in the older generation grandparents aunties uncles mm. kind of, so holding holding a, a talk at a temple after rituals and prayers are done 
or even at the mosque or the Gurdwara or wherever um, once in a while would be would be helpful as well. And I think when doing a talk like that, especially to to people who would naturally be quite closed-minded because of their, maybe their upbringing or the beliefs that they've they've grown up with. I mean, they're a product of their environment, so they they will they will think of think how they've been taught to think. But I think the the best way to get through to people like that is by starting off with an experience that you know makes if you're talking about yourself if it was me then I would talk about an, a, you know a really distressing experience and try and tap into the people's emotions because when you tap into people's emotions that's when they start to think oh shit you know this person's gone I, I wouldn't ever want my son or daughter or my friend or whatever to, to have gone through that experience let me listen to what she has to say after that you know so that I mean that's what I do with my blog post that's why I always go for the creative storytelling approach because I think if you start off with a story then it's you manage to capture people's attention and tap into their to their emotions and when you do that I think it, it sinks in a bit more um, the message sinks in a bit more so yeah I think that's that's probably what can be done within the South Asian community yeah I that's I mean the that's those are very very good responses I think they really get to the heart of the question in that mm. you you know the religious sites play a really important role for us um, which is where I think a lot of these conversations should be happening and I can't say if they are or not because I'm relatively removed from religious sites like the mosque and stuff um, right, right, but okay. I hope that they are um, and I think we need more people like you uh, you know doing this kind of stuff and that there needs to be space created for this yeah I mean to be honest I don't know how easy it would be to sort of fit a talk or slot a talk in or approach temple managers or mosque people who run a mosque or gurdwara and say, oh, can I talk, do a talk about disability stigma? I mean, I know in the case of a, a temple, I mean, the first question they'd ask would be, well, has it got anything to do with religion? What benefit is it going to bring to the devotees or the worshippers that come here? I think if you can somehow tie it in, I mean, it's difficult. But if you could somehow tie it in with spirituality and, and make a link, then I think mm. it'd be easier to to sort of approach um, the spiritual and religious community and, and do do those kind of talks at places of worship. I agree. Um, and I think it's something that I've been exploring as well, how to, you mm. know, because there's audiences at religious sites that you wouldn't necessarily have otherwise. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think... It's a, it's a really good resource to tap into. I think it's just about finding ways. But I'm sure we will. Yeah. Uh, our generation is yeah. doing good things. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. There's been a lot of progress. Um, and I, th- I think because, yeah, it like feels like... I don't know, I think because I'm closer to your story than I am with other guests because I haven't seen most of my other guests like grow up, effectively. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's like we've seen your journey from like where you started f- to where you yeah. are now. So like... Yeah. What, looking back now, what are some of the things yeah. you would say to your younger self in school? Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and again, you don't have to answer this right now. There's no, you can skip this question. It's completely up to you. Yeah. No, it's okay. I'll, I'll answer it. I think, I'd pro- I mean, just to be a bit more brave, I think. And, Yeah. 
just try and inject if, if I was if I had my younger self in front of me right now I'd probably just try and inject some courage into her <laughs> um, yeah yeah and also make her aware that there are resources and support available you're not just kind of I think that's something that I grew up with I thought I remember feeling and thinking that you know I was trapped and there's no sort of outlet there's no there's no way out basically um but yeah there's there's so much there's so much support and help out there that, that children aren't aware of so yeah I'll be sure to include like as literally as many resources as I can with this post because mm. I I feel like this almost feels like a central theme to our conversation. Mm. The fact that mm. there are resources out there but they're just not shared enough so that mm. um, children, kids, teenagers, even adults who have a disability feel quite isolated because they don't feel like supported. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for not, sure. Not supported in the families, in the communities or in wider society. Yeah, um, no, for sure. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think the resources need to be made available to, to adults as well. I agree uh, completely. Um, I can see that we're coming up to your hour mark in like a few minutes. Any lasting words mm. that you want to say to everyone or like even to your younger self? It can Yeah, like literally the floor is yours. Any last things? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know I just let's let's start normalizing difference I think that's that would be my end message uh, that's the message that I'm going to try and carry across as well uh, going forward in, in my work yeah yeah and and I'm really excited to see how your work progresses and like if you ever need any kind of support expert by experience is there um to platform, oh, thank you so much. platform and support marginalized voices in the South Asian communities because that's pretty much what, what we do. <laughs> um, mm. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's a, I think that's a very Amazing. lovely, not necessarily lovely, but it's an important note to finish <laughs> on. But before you can go, there is a quick fire round. Okay. <laughs> and these All right, are well, like, let's give us a go. <laughs> uh, um, I think I've come up with a relative mix that kind of captures it kind of I think it brings like our school history into it so in the sense that it's a bit of like okay. it captures the last 15 or 17 years since we started school right okay okay so the first cool. thing that comes to your mind okay okay uh, a show you're currently binging on right now a show that I'm currently binging on um, I'm not binging on a show at the moment, but I am really obsessed with a documentary that I recently watched called The Social Dilemma. Oh, interesting. What's that about? Mm-hmm. It's about how um, social media is taking over our lives and ruining us, which which it is. Oh, it's on <laughs> uh, Netflix, it, right? It's, it's definitely it's definitely a good a good watch, um, and it's it's presented by uh, people who who had quite senior positions in like. Uh, the big tech giants like Instagram and YouTube mm. and um, Twitter and all that. But it's definitely a good, really, really insightful, good watch. It's on Netflix, right? It's on Netflix, yeah. Oh, uh, cool. I mean, Netflix, the place where I'm addicted to, telling me about addiction is quite... <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a funny situation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, favorite South Asian food? 
Go rich South Asian food, um, paneer, paneer. Oh, so that is a solid <laughs> choice. That is... Yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with cheese, so yeah, chili paneer is the favourite. <laughs> okay, um, one book that inspires you, or that changed your viewpoint? Uh, one book. Can I, I've just, I've got quite a few. As in, the thing is, I dip in and out of books a lot, so... I'll skip this because I've got quite a few, I think. <laughs> That's completely fair enough. Okay, now this uh, is going to be a more naughty question because our history goes back to 2003. Favourite naughties <laughs> band? Boy band, actually. Favourite <laughs> boy band? From the naughties, like 2000 uh, to 2010. Can I say favourite girl band? Yeah, I mean, whichever one. I only said boy I band because like it would make it more challenging. Okay, I liked I liked the Spice Girls. Also, I was really, I mean, growing up, I wasn't really exposed to Western music that much. Um, I watched a lot of Hindi and Tamil films, so I'm more sort of, uh, I'm more a fan of that kind of music. But I mean, on the, I think in terms of Western music, I'd definitely say the Spice. I was obsessed with the Spice Girls, Beyonce, and Destiny's Child as well. Ah, those are very, very two thousand three choices <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and last question what do you want to be when you grow up um, what do I want to be when I grow up when I grow up I want to be free and happy when I grow up <laughs> oh that's a very <laughs> lovely question I mean question it's a very good answer um, and yeah that's the quick fire round um, cool see I mean the People always get like relatively anxious when I say quick fire, but you can see the quality of questions that I ask are very, <laughs> um, they're not thought provoking. <laughs> no, they're, play- they're fun and playful, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good to get to know you as a person, um, as you are. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, where can people find the incredible work that you are doing and plan on doing? Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so um, on my Insta handle, uh, Instagram, Instagram account, uh, so it's at Kaya's, uh, dot space, and I've got the link to my blog is on um, on my account as well. So I'll be posting a lot more uh, going forward. But yeah. So um, it can be found on my blog. Well, uh, I'll I'll be sure to tag you in everything that I upload. And I'll make a serious case in point to make sure that I tag all as many resources as I can on disability, disability yeah. stigma, societal and South Asian. Um, but yeah, it was really incredible talking to you. Um, it's, Thanks it's, so much, it's, yeah. it's, it's a It's very beautiful to see you develop as a person. Um, oh, which slightly makes me feel old because it's been 17 <laughs> years, but... And I know we didn't speak much at school because we were just completely different people. But uh, it is honestly, yeah. it's an it's an honor to see you develop into the person you have. Thank you, thanks very much. <laughs> no worries. Um, but yeah, thank you for coming on, and we will definitely be in touch. Cool. Awesome. Have a lovely weekend. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.